Dance like everybody's watching. Love like you've exclusively been hurt. Sing like Rita Skeeter's listening. Live like it's Voldemort's rebirth. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for inspirational speakers. Victor, hasn't he asked you to call him Vicky yet? He's from Durmstrang. He's competing against Harry, against Hogwarts. You, you're fraternizing with the enemy. That's what you're doing. Well, if you don't like it, you know what the solution is, don't you? Oh, yeah. What's that? Next time there's a ball, ask me before someone else does and not as a last resort. Well, well, that just proves completely missed the point. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Welcome, welcome. We are, as essentially always and forever, reading Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And this week's chapters that we are reading are The Yule Ball and Rita Skeeter's Scoop. Um, Cursing spoilers, you guys know the drill. Before I do the adult themes, I do want to call out that several of you thought that Alex's comment about turning the rock in the first task into a, quote, real doggo, no, a real good boy, was, like, one of the most... (laughs) important observations of the quibbler so far (laughs) so i just want to shout out that you guys responded really strongly to transfigured rock doggo i should write a fan fiction from the rock turned dog's perspective i would 100 percent read that i think lots of people would the dog who lived (laughs) the dog who lived albeit briefly just blinks into existence it's like a glimmer of light in two endless, like, slabs of eternity. So this week we do have some adult themes, and they are makeovers, re-gifting, necking, hatchet jobs, and shade. So much shade. Everybody's throwing shade in, like, gajillions of directions. And, and also everybody's being shady. shady. So, it's a shady book. Yeah. It's, it's the Goblet of Shade. <laughs> It's the goblet of people acting like fucking sketchballs. <laughs> so what happened this week? Yo, everything happens this week. In a maximalist book, this is like just a maximalist chapter, the Yule Ball chapter. I guess Rita Skeeter's scoop uh, has some giant revelations in it as well. <laughs> but... <laughs> was that on purpose? Yes. Oh, okay. That was absolutely on purpose. Oh, I th- Okay, good. In this week's chapters, everybody is getting ready for the Yule Ball. You may recall that Harry and Ron finally scored dates. A couple honeys, the Patil twins. First, though, Harry gets a response from Sirius. Says, don't let your guard down, kid. Good job with the dragon. The second task is coming up, though, so... um, not constant vigilance. That's Mad Eye's line. I don't know. Sirius doesn't really have a catchphrase. Sirius is basically like, "Don't worry, it's gonna get worse." Yeah. <laughs> it's ball time. Everybody is dressed up in their finest. Ron is wearing his super hand-me-down Salvation Army dress robes. Uh, he's kind of tailored. He's done like some DIY tailoring though, so they're not that bad. I don't know, Ron's like having like a super growth spurt in this book, so none of his clothes seem to fit. I think we're meant to understand. Everybody's at the ball, there's mingling, 
there's crowd noises. I'm trying to set the scene for you guys. Enter Durmstrang, Victor Crumb leading the procession with a super attractive woman that Harry doesn't recognize. Who could it be? But but ba it's motherfucking Hermione Granger with straight hair and like an awesome blue dress. So that's shocking. Ron doesn't seem super happy about it. Pavardi gamely gets Harry through the opening dance. She's mostly steering Harry around and, you know, doing all his uh, work for him, basically. Maybe Pavardi should have been a school champion. <laughs> Pavardi is slaying. Yeah. So indeed, she could have slewn, slain. Slain. She slain, could this, have, slain this dance, man. She could man. have slain the dragon. Yeah. She is slaying yeah. this dance. It is a good thing Harry doesn't have to get points awarded for his performance at the Yule Ball, because he would be getting... Zero. Yeah, basically zero. Goose eggs across the board. Mm-hmm. Dragon eggs across the board. Word. Harry gets through his first dance. First and last dance. He doesn't dance again, because he sees Cho and Cedric dancing and gets a little sulky. Ron doesn't dance at all, because he still seems to be processing this Hermione revelation. Padma and Pavardi are like, fuck these fuckboys, and take off with some Bobatons gentlemen. Victor Crumb is looking for Hermione. He's got drinks. Ron and Victor have some terse words. I just want to weigh in and say that Victor and Hermione are, like, the only people at this ball having a good time with one another. <laughs> they like each other a lot. They're having a super normal conversation. It's kind-spirited af. Dumbledore seems to be having a great fucking time. Dumbledore's always having a great time. That's because Dumbledore is constantly shirking his duties. And, like, half drunk. Yeah, and drunk. It's true. <laughs> Harry and Ron go out to get some air. They end up in a rose bush? Yeah, I, I don't remember how they end like or they're like behind a statue or something. They're hiding from Fleur because Ron doesn't want Fleur to see him. Right. She's like macking with Roger Davies. Yeah, the and, uh, the Ravenclaw Quidditch captain. And um who's her date? And Ron is like, oh my god, we have to hide because she might see me. And I asked her the, the prom like a fucking idiot. <laughs> like this stupid, stupid boy that I am. So Harry and Ron, during this weird hiding, not hiding episode, overhear some important plot information, uh, which is a thing that happens when you're hiding in rose bushes. They overhear Karkarov and Snape are having one of Snape's trademark hushed conversations in the shadows. Why is Snape always having these, like, super weird, like, <laughs> he's just such a bat. Yeah. He's just, like, swoops down and he's like, you want to have a super weird, hardcore conversation where kids might overhear us? Good. Do it. Show me your fucking dark mark, bro. Yeah. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. We don't know what's the dark mark yet. We just have, it's, you know, Snape Red Herring or whatever. Karkarov is feeling really freaked out about something. He said, it's becoming clearer, Severus. Snape says, I have nothing to hide. Flee if you want. I'm staying at Hogwarts. Ah, uh, that's troubling. Because also Harry thinks Karkarov may be out to get him. Maybe not. So that happens. Then they overhear Hagrid and Madame Maxime 
who are, are they officially at the dance together? Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. They're having a really intense conversation, as you do in the corners of balls. Hagrid says to Madame Maxime, I've never met anyone like you. And by like you, I mean like me. Madame Maxine's like, what are you talking about, Hagrid? Hagrid says, half giants. My mom was a giant. My dad was a human and a little one at that short guy. Although maybe just short compared to Hagrid, because Hagrid's like eight feet tall. I don't uh, think he's taller than that. Yeah, like very I think he's like 10 feet tall. He's very large. Uh, Madame Maxime is very offended. She says she's just big boned and storms off. Harry and Ron are like, man, this night is over for us. Uh, <laughs> let's call it on the Yule Ball. Ron goes back to the common room first. I don't remember the exact like logistics of how this happened. It's happen. because like, Cedric stops Harry. Oh, yeah. Cedric tells Harry that if he's still working out his clue, he should mull it over in a, he should take a bath with the egg, basically. Mull it over in the hot water. God, that's such weird advice. I mean, I know why, but it's such weird advice. Harry's thinking, are you just like fucking with me, man? I would be thinking that if I were Harry. Yeah, well also Harry's like blinded by his like jealous, his jealousy. He's blinded by envy. No, it's a really weird fucking thing to say. It's a strange, it's a strange way to put it. Yeah. So Harry's feeling very suspicious of Cedric. He heads back up to the common room where Hermione and Ron are having a blazing row about the events of this evening. Hermione drops a truth bomb. Yeah. She She says, if it bothers you so much to see me at the ball with Victor Crumb, you know there's a solution. Ask me next time before someone else does. So... Dang. Yo, things are heating up in the worst couple in the books. (laughs) Also, yeah, also earlier in the night, Ron had accused Hermione of fraternizing with the enemy uh, because Crumb is obviously for Durmstrang. Hermione sticks up for Crumb, says he's a really, like, nice, smart guy. Uh, I don't just Ron is tripping. Okay, we have a whole nother chapter. Yeah, and we have a whole nother, we have a whole nother chapter after that. Hagrid is mysteriously absent from Care of Magical Creatures class, replaced by Professor Grubbly Plank. We learn it's because Hagrid is hiding in his hut because Rita Skeeter published a story about how he's a half-giant. How did Rita Skeeter find out? Who knows? So, giants, we learn, in the magical world are not well-liked. They're feared. So, Hagrid's AWOL. Hermione, Ron, and Harry go to the Three Broomsticks. Hermione and Ron are, uh, they're on okay terms, but they're acting kind of weird. Overly formal, you might say, to each other. They head to Hogsmeade, go to the Three Broomsticks. Harry runs into Ludo Bagman, who is having deep talks with some goblins and looking very uncomfortable. Ludo asks Harry if he needs any help with his next task because Ludo says, I've taken a liking to you, man. Uh, By a liking, he means I have bet these money-grubbing hook-nosed goblin people money and I really, really need it back. (laughs) Which just, let's just briefly remember that this goblin trope is garbage. Yeah, so Ludo Ludo seems to be in hock to some goblins in over his head. 
Harry-ass Ludo. I don't know, at some point we learn that they still don't know what happened to Bertha Jorkins, although they're looking for her. Harry and the gang then run into Rita Skeeter at the Three Broomsticks. They confront her. Hermione calls her out. Rita darkly references Ludo Bagman, says that she knows things about him that will make your hair curl, not that it needs it. She says that to Hermione. What a weird insult. Yeah. Your hair is already curly, bitch. <laughs> what? <laughs> so fucking weird, man. And Hermione tells off Rita. They head straight to Hagrid's cabin, bang on the door, say, come out, Hagrid. We don't care if you're half giant. Dumbledore answers the door. Dumbledore is Ben has been consoling Hagrid and telling him he needs to come back. Everybody's efforts to cheer Hagrid up apparently work. Hagrid tells Harry he hopes that he wins the Triwizard Tournament to show the world that anybody can do anything or something like that. And Harry decides to swallow his pride and try out Cedric's little egg tip. And that's what happened in this week's chapters. So we thought first things first we'd do a pensive because there was just so much crazy stuff happening in these two chapters that some of it didn't really fit into a category and we just wanted to talk about it. Yeah. So first off, Dobby loves socks and it's the nicest. (laughs) Dobby's relationship with socks is like one of the kindest spirited relationships in this chapter full of relationship nonsense. And I really like the ones that he knits for Harry and I would buy them. Yeah, they have, one has broomsticks and the other has a pattern of snitches on it. So really tap into this trend of funky socks. Well, it's weird because Harry is kind of like, okay, well, I'll wear these like never. (laughs) And I don't know. He thinks they're really uncool. They're legit. They're cool as fuck. Um, also, Dobby, with his own two little elf hands, knit Harry new socks. Meanwhile, Harry gave him old, stinky Uncle Vernon socks. So Dobby is a significantly better friend. But we knew that already. More people are turning into birds randomly in this chapter because the canary creams have infested the food supply no people are like buying them they've really taken off they've taken off as it were (laughs) i don't know i i just wanted to call this out fred and george's junk business ingenuity they're these are really clever snacks they're like kind of insane but they also don't do any kind of like they don't have a very lasting impact so you you grow a bunch of feathers and then you molt right away hilarious absolutely top-notch snacking it is a nice it is a nice bit it's a nice comic flourish that it definitely she, is. she has these chapters. If you think about, you're just sitting in class, you're just sitting like in the common room, and poof, somebody turns into a bird. That it's hilarious. That is really funny. That should have been in the movies, clearly. Yeah, I mean, it kind of it's like that scene in um, Prisoner of Azkaban where they're all like turning into, or they're all making animal sounds after they oh, eat true. those candies. Yeah. Maybe that's why where he got it. Yeah. Anyway. So speaking of things that are hilarious, there's this, the worst insult, maybe in the book, maybe in the series even, I don't even know why they're fucking confronting him, but Draco Malfoy is like skulking around like being an asshole and for some reason he's like yelling at Harry, Ron, and Hermione (laughs) about, I don't, I literally, I couldn't get into it. I don't know what he's doing, but 
he calls Hermione a long molared mudblood, which is just the most like mumbo jumbo, ham fisted, hilariously terrible insult. Long molared? What kid says that? It's not even the right teeth. Well, it's her front teeth. It's her incisors that are long. You, you long incisored. He doesn't even. He, he thought molar sounded good for the alliterative purposes. But it doesn't but it's not even, sound good. Yeah, it's not even. It's not even correct. It's actually if a, you're like gonna a, insult the dentist kid. Get your teeth right. It's also just like it's a rare moment when Rowling's dialogue is like really, really, really off key. It's just like Draco <laughs> would never say that. And then no, I don't know. I like most of Draco's insults are really lame. No, but and it's not that like, it's everybody, like, laughs lame. their head off because they, like, want to, they want to, like, impress Draco. I don't his, know. His insults are lame, but this one is just so strange. His insults are usually, like, oh, yeah, well, your mom. <laughs> like, Draco, Draco just wouldn't say long molard. I don't think anyone would. I don't think any human being would use that as an insult in, like, a hallway, like, insult battle. Yeah. That was a stupid way to put it. But you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then Hermione comes back. And with like the best insult, like the as the Babysitters Club Club, shout out to another great book podcast, we'd call it the burn of the week. <laughs> Hermione is like she she pretends that she sees Professor Moody over Malfoy's shoulder and he like flips out and she goes, twitchy little ferret, aren't you Malfoy? And it's like, oh, damn, because he was a ferret. So dumbest insult and best insult traded in a moment. He yeah. might be my unsung he hero got- just for that stupid fucking phrase. He got wrecked into book five, basically. <laughs> he did. Okay, another kind of like Zonko's slash joke shop idiocy. Ron gives Harry a bag of shit for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, dung bombs. He just gives a bag him of dung bombs. just a bag of dung bombs. And dung bombs are just shit bombs. In case anybody didn't know, dung means shit. So Harry gets a literal sack of shit from his sack of shit friend, Ron. <laughs> Ron. I mean, on, man. no, I'm no, sure Harry loves fun. it. It's just hilarious. It is funny. Does Harry like set off a lot of dung bombs? Occasionally like, they need dung bombs to like cause a distraction or something. So that they can fucking steal potion supplies from uh, Snape or something. You know, they've done it before or they were thinking that they might have to use a dung bomb to clear out the common room so that he could use the fireplace to talk to Sirius. That's fair. It, it, it's just like a handy thing to have in your arsenal. They've got like a bag of caper tricks. They are. They're you know? They've got makers. like a caper kit. The caper kit. That's awesome. So We should all have a caper kit. These dung bombs are functional if you're Harry and Ron and Hermione. Okay, next up, let's talk about who is winning at the ball. Frangelina. Yeah, we is that have, our name for them? Yeah, hashtag yeah. Frangelina. Everybody, please make this happen. I don't know if this is something that already exists in the fandom. I don't think I made it up, but if I did, this is amazing. But yeah, Fred and Angelina are by far the most exciting and fun couple. They are dancing so hard that people have to like move out of the way <laughs> their dancing is so spirited i wonder if they're like so is it like sexy dancing no or are they just all over i think the place? they're all over the place i think they're like fucking like thrash dancing okay i don't think they're like bumping and grinding because they seem like they're more fun than that yeah they seem like they're just fucking hopping and waggling and 
being crazy and fun. There's probably some weird magic involved. Yeah, they're just like setting off like sparklers everywhere and everybody has to get out of the way because they're basically <laughs> dancing. It's like, oh God, this is going to be an even like older and lamer reference than most of yours. It's like in that movie, that old Fred Astaire movie, Holiday Inn. He has this one dance routine where he's just like, He's tap dancing and he's throwing those firecrackers that explode like when they hit the ground. You know those firecrackers? It's like the coolest fucking dance scene in like one of those old movies. But that's kind of what I imagine them doing. Just like throwing down crackers as they like (laughs) as they cut a rug. I love it. Um, Who else is winning the ball? Pavardi and Padma definitely until they get their ball ruined by well not ruined i don't think it's ruined re- they probably have a way better time with like the hot french bobaton yeah that's true um, uh just pavardi is getting it done for harry she makes him look good at the dance she steers him around to make sure he's like seen by everyone as a yeah. school champion she's uh dean and seamus think that pavardi and padma are the prettiest girls of their year so it's funny that Harry and Ron are, like, not into them at all. Yeah, well, um, you know, when you're, like, blinkered, I guess. Yeah, when you're, like, only obsessed with one person. But, yeah, is it either Dean or Seamus, but it might be both of them in the conversation, are like, how the fuck did you guys get to go out with the hottest girls we know? <laughs> and they're, like, literally at the last minute. But that doesn't make any sense. Why didn't Pavardi and Padma already have dates? I don't know. Maybe they were holding out for I mean, Something. Harry I mean, is Harry's actually... a good catch. He's worth holding out for. Ron is shit. Yeah. He is a dung bomb... Dung bomb bag. Maybe Padma is uh, introverted. Yeah, that's true. That's possible. Although, I don't know. She really wants to dance, though. Her foot's, like, tapping along to the music. I know. McGonagall also killing it at the ball. She is wearing a tartan dress robe, (laughs) which, yo, like, to me, that sounds like just a plaid bathrobe. What does that look like? Uh, I think I own something like a tartan dress robe. It's not tartan, but... It's you like checked. do, yeah, but, but it's no, a it, bathrobe. It's a literal bathrobe. That is tartan. That's tartan. Okay, yeah. I don't know my. It's like, a literal bathrobe. I don't know my patterns. And then Draco looks like a vicar, which is also hilarious. He's got this like weird high collared like black velvet thing. Draco looks like he sounds like he looks very stupid. <laughs> Draco is stupid in these chapters. Hey, point to Draco though. His date is Pansy Parkinson, who we are repeatedly made to understand is not very good looking. I don't think that Pansy Parkinson equals... is not very good looking. I think that they just don't like her. Millicent Bulstrode is the one who's like. I thought ugly. Pansy Parkinson was supposed to be like pug faced. Oh, I imagine Pansy Parkinson as like kind of like the cute Slytherin girl. No, I don't think he's he's not dating an uncute Slytherin. No, I thought she. Well, pug faced can be cute. Pugs are cute. Pugs are cute, but I don't you know. Like, I think they just think she's ugly the way they think Hermione is ugly. Yeah, like Hermione's not ugly, but she has like kind of funny teeth and. All right. Well, I thought that. I, I thought... don't think Pansy's ugly. I thought uh, Draco had maybe uh, shown some class. No, fuck no, Draco. Not being obsessed with looks. No, Draco's into looks. You think so? Of course. Well, first of all, he's like a thirteen-year-old boy. Like you guys weren't known for your like discerning interest in our personalities. Yeah, he fucking cares about looks. Well, for some reason, I thought that I had read somewhere that some like digs at Pansy's. Well, I'm sure we've read digs at Pansy's appearance, but we've read digs at Hermione's appearance, and we know perfectly well that she's hot. I think they just are mean to Slytherins. I'm imagining Pansy as like a fairly lovely young lady. I think she's probably pretty. All right. Maybe she just has like a small little pug nose, which is fine. Well, I was trying to give Draco some credit, but nah, dog. And then finally. 
misandrist unicorns. She led them past the paddock where the huge Beaubaton's horses were standing, huddled against the cold, and toward a tree on the edge of the forest where a large and beautiful unicorn was tethered. Many of the girls ooed at the sight of the unicorn. Oh, it's so beautiful, whispered Lavender Brown. How did she get it? They're supposed to be really hard to catch. The unicorn was so brightly white, it made the snow all around look grey. It was pouring the ground nervously with its golden hooves and throwing back its horned head. Boys, keep back, barked Professor Grubbly Plank, throwing out an arm and catching Harry hard in the chest. They prefer the woman's touch, unicorns. Girls, to the front and approach with care. Come on, easy does it. She and the girls walked slowly forward toward the unicorn, leaving the boys standing near the paddock fence watching. Yeah, so the boys don't really get to participate in the Care of Magical Creatures lesson because Professor Grubbly Plank is like, yeah, unicorns don't like guys. So okay, um, well, first off. of all, Professor Br Grubbly Plank is a, an incredible teacher and brings unicorns to class. <laughs> yeah, and then not, she's uh, like, uh, the boys like are not allowed to approach because they don't, they like, they prefer the female touch, which like, that's awesome. Yeah, don't let boys touch you. That's my lesson for the <laughs> podcast, which is a bullshit lesson because I am a cis heterosexual woman, but don't let boys touch you. Don't let them stroke your hair so nicely and pat you and, and try to steal your horn for magic. So we've talked a lot about this being just like a crazy, jam-packed, overstuffed, maximalist Harry Potter book, but this is the first kind of set of chapters in which a lot of the like weird like plot points start to like super like creak into gear you have a lot of shade in yeah. all directions and there's some foreshadowing with the karkarov snape scene ludo is up to some nonsense in the bar bertha jorkins is kind of brought back into the narrative because harry and ludo had this conversation about him but I, I don't know. There's a ton of misdirection. There is. Usually there's like just one like, oh, we think it's him. But in fact, it's this other one. Right. Like or, the first book, it's like, oh, we think it's Snape. and Or you, you sort of know in the first three books, like there's kind of just one straight shooting like plot mystery. Right. It's you like, figure in Sorcerer's Stone, we're going to run into whoever's trying to steal the stone. Yeah. Maybe it's Snape. Maybe it's not. Chamber of Secrets, you know they're going to have a big showdown with the Beast. Maybe it's Malfoy, maybe it's not. And it's pretty obvious in Azkaban that Sirius Black is going to show up at the end. And right. And you're going to, like, figure out his deal. Yeah. But this one, we don't, I mean, I guess the sort of primary mystery is, like, who put Harry's name in the goblet and why. But first of all, there are so many more suspects than usual. Like, this has gotten, like, a straight-up murder on the Orient Express level <laughs> number of, or, like, clue number of suspects. Yeah, Ludo Bagman seems like a pretty good contender. I actually think I read somewhere, correct us if we're wrong on this, listeners, but I think I read somewhere that she initially had Ludo Bagman as the bad guy, like as worse than he is. And she like did a rewrite and Ludo just became like a gambling addict with like <laughs> goblins on his tail. So we've got Ludo so being Pete fucking Rose weird. Or whatever. Obviously Snape is like always a contender. 
Draco seems to know more than he should. Draco is always sort of like the Malfoy family is always kind of a contender. And like they're involved in a way actually. Karkarov seems to kind of right now be the main bad yeah, the primary main suspect, because Sir- well, Sirius suspects him. Right, but Sirius is, like, dead wrong. Obviously, like, Moody is a fucking weirdo. Barty Crouch has disappeared in this chapter. Barty's been, like, sick at work a lot, and Percy's yeah. gotten a promotion, so. Basically, Percy is, like, his personal assistant doing all his work, but nobody can actually reach Barty Crouch, so something shady is going on with him. So you just have this, like, ever-flourishing kind of cast of possible shady dealings and we don't even really know what those dealings are yeah the birth of jorkins thing like i think until the very end like you can't really or like well we know what happened but it it's just like if you're hairy i don't know you probably can't tell whether or not that's a misdirection it's just a lot yeah do you think it works uh or do you think it's just confusing i guess we see voldemort in the beginning so it's clearly he's gonna show up again at the end. Like yeah. we're expecting. It's like the gun. It's like Chekhov's like gun. Yeah, Voldemort's make, gonna make show an back appearance. up. So in that way, it's pretty clear. Like obviously Voldemort is behind this whole thing, but I actually remember finding this plot extremely confusing, and it only gets more. Confusing. I mean, it remains confusing. It's a really, really, really confusing plot. <laughs> I think that I like that she's trying to sort of establish this like wider world in which there actually are a lot of people involved in the rise and then the resurgence of Voldemort. Like, I think there's like an interesting point being made about like there's like a maturing of the golden trio's like understanding of who's kind of like doing the mischief because yeah in the first three it's like one person one person one person kind of two people in book three because like you know Sirius himself but then somebody's like helping him in the castle but in this one I think you're getting this like widening scope of like oh all these people are bullshit I mean Harry's kind of coming to understand it's not like somebody's out to get me it's like this whole like network of supporters of this like main somebody are all kind of orchestrating his return and I think like that starts to be clear except not really there's only like three of them well, kind of, but I mean, they're all kind of involved. Like, they all, they're starting to see their dark mark. Like, all of them know that something's happening, and they're either, like, actively, like, excited about it, or they're, like, trying to figure out what to do. Like, there's a lot of people involved here. Because yeah. as soon as you start to see your dark mark, like, you have to make a choice. You know? Hmm. I feel like all of them, like, Snape and Karkarov have that conversation. Like, they have to make a choice. Karkarov wants to run away. Snape... You know, we don't, we're not really clear on where Snape will be or like what his deal is. But, and I guess we don't, this chapter, we don't know it's the mark, but we're going to see it soon. Right, right. I don't know. It's just, it is really confusing. There's just a lot of moving parts. Well, this whole Rube Goldberg machine of this a plot. This is exactly what it is. Yeah. And it's also like, okay, so simultaneously, you've got the actual tournament. Mm-hmm. You've got like a bunch of like relational side plots. It's just like way more than has ever happened and she didn't like she didn't titrate up (laughs) from book three she was just like wham this is the most complicated book you've ever read like what was i like sixth grader (laughs) good luck hope you're taking notes i mean we're literally taking notes and i'm still a little bit discombobulated like we're taking copious notes 
I guess we know in hindsight what's up. We know that Voldemort, pretending like we don't know the ending, we know that Voldemort had said to Peter that he has a faithful servant at Hogwarts. So right, we know seems it's like someone. the most obvious candidate right now. I guess it's a dumb question because we know it's Moody slash Crouch, but I think the most I don't remember. I think the most shady behavior so far is from Barty Crouch Sr. Mm-hmm. I think he's being the weirdest. Okay. Ludo is just, I don't think Ludo would be written this sort of like magnanimous and just kind of like jocular and fun. Like he doesn't seem like a real bad guy. He just seems, he does. He just seems like a guy with a gambling problem. Yeah. You have this weird side plot where like Fred and George are like shaking him down. <laughs> Which, like, just shows up every, like, couple of chapters. They're, like, huddled in a corner, like, writing a letter to him. And that's, like, a just a totally There nonsense. are so many plots. There's just a lot happening. Who do you think is the most likely candidate? Uh, I mean, I don't This is, like, a weird conversation because we know. But I'm trying to remember who I thought it was. But I think I'd actually been tipped off as to the ending of this book before I read it. Oh, that's so, a bummer. Yeah. I also think... I remember thinking Karkarov and Crouch. I mean, yeah, Karkarov and Crouch Sr. Because we don't even know about Barty Crouch Jr. yet. Were the most likely suspects of just like weirdness. You always kind of have to think that Snape is like pulling some strings somewhere. Which he kind of is, but not in the way we think. I don't know. There's just so many there's just so many layers of like strange events. I remember thinking that Madame Maxime was going to turn out more sinister than she did. I also remember thinking that like that whole exchange with her and Hagrid about the giant thing was gonna like come back to be mm. like really important for more than Hagrid's just like identity. So yeah, I do remember having a bad feeling about her. Well And she turns out fine. In a weird way, I guess the Byzantine nature of Voldemort's plot is what allows it to, yeah, like go unchecked. Well, yeah, because there's just like, there, yeah, it's his plot is so unclear that our plot that we're reading <laughs> becomes exceedingly unclear. I'm trying to imagine Voldemort and Peter Pettigrew working this out on like a chalkboard. Yeah, it'd be like those like, like football X's and O's. That's what I'm picturing. Okay, so like Bertha Jorkins is like on defense. Yeah. I don't know any sports ball terms, so that's as far as I get. <laughs> it's insane. All right. So our girl gets a makeover. It's a makeover. Makey makeover. It's a makey, 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 makeover. Old you in the garbage. New you in display case. Old you was a diaper. New you is a diamond. Cedric and Cho were close to Harry too. He looked away from them so he wouldn't have to talk to them. His eyes fell instead on the girl next to Crumb. His jaw dropped. It was Hermione. Process. Process. Reveal. Reveal. Hairs. Nailies. Sparkle magic horse. But she didn't look like Hermione at all. She had done something with her hair. It was no longer bushy, but sleek and shiny, and twisted up into an elegant knot at the back of her head. She was wearing robes made of a floaty, periwinkle blue material, and she was holding herself differently, somehow. Or maybe it was merely the absence of the twenty or so books she usually had slung over her back. She was also smiling, rather nervously it was true, but the reduction in the size of her front teeth 
was more noticeable than ever. Harry couldn't understand how he hadn't spotted it before. Hi, Harry, she said. Hi, Pavati. Pavati was gazing at Hermione in unflattering disbelief. She wasn't the only one either. When the doors to the great hall opened, Crumb's fan club from the library stalked past, throwing Hermione looks of deepest loathing. Pansy Parkinson gaped at her as she walked by with Malfoy, and even he didn't seem to be able to find an insult to throw at her. Ron, however, walked right past Hermione without looking at her. What do you think? Uh, she looks good. Yeah. We're meant to understand she looks super good. Harry doesn't even recognize her at first, which seems... It's just like, have you never Cri looked at your friend's face? I don't know. Well, Harry's also sort of... We're getting a bit of meathead Harry, too. You know, he's a little oblivious uh, well, in this book. I actually think he doesn't recognize her because he's just like, so much is going on for him. He briefly glances at the, like, the fact that Crumb has a date. He's like trying to like not die of embarrassment and anxiety and like looking for Cho and like trying to manage the fact that Ron is shit and like Padma clearly doesn't want to be at the dance with him so he's got a lot going on Ron is the problem but let's talk about the makeover before we talk about what the fuck is happening with Ron first of all I mean this is related it is like that classic like teen movie romance where like the girl literally takes off her glasses and takes off her ponytail and or takes out her ponytail and Freddie Prince Jr. is like oh my god you're gorgeous and it's like <laughs> I have had the exact same face and hair as long as you have known me glasses are not like a lucha libre mask <laughs> like you can see my goddamn face friend so yeah, it's that, that whole thing of like takes off her glasses and all of a sudden she's gorgeous. Except for her, it's like slightly shrinks her teeth. The other thing that's interesting about this scene is the hair transformation. So what is it that she uses? It's like Spindle Wicks magic hair potion or so I don't know what the heck the, it's called yeah so she uses but she says she Some uses crazy... so much and it takes so long that it's not worth doing every day but this is a moment when the idea that Hermione is black kind of like comes into focus I think for a lot of people because that like transformation of like to like sleek hair is like again like reach out if I'm incorrect but I think like in pop culture is definitely this symbol of kind of adhering to like white beauty standards and like this whole concept of like good hair is just like a complicated one so to me this is a moment where if your headcanon is that Hermione is black this is like a moment of validation so I don't know I actually I mean and I have always found that to be a fairly convincing possibility she's a black woman in the play now and I there are definitely moments where that would make sense for Hermione and this is one of the ones this is one of the few where like her physical appearance like going from like big quote-unquote bushy hair to like sleek smooth hair and that's when she's perceived as beautiful just like it makes a little bit of sense. So everything you're saying really resonates with me right now because I'm reading Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And so much of that book is about the, the narrator's hair. Um, Ifa Melu. Yeah. And uh, what it means to leave it kinky, what it means to straighten it. And she describes in really lovely descriptions of... Uh, 
Like sitting I, in the braiding yeah, salon, like that like, first scene and getting the braids is just like, it's so gives you like place and context and identity. Like she writes about hair pretty spectacularly. Yeah. And uh, she writes about how her like head basically like drinks just bottles and bottles of this relaxer, which has like kind of nasty side effects. And uh, when Hermione talks about Hermione's described as needing like tons and tons of, I, I guess, like magic hair relaxer that just uh this so this headcanon like really makes sense um headcanon by the way if you are not like a fandom person i actually just learned this recently i'm like learning the language along with a lot of you a lot of you already know it but some of our like less internet savvy listeners headcanon is basically like a fan's personal understanding or interpretation of the canon which is like the kind of the facts in the text so I think that well god maybe this is really othering because maybe this is not diminishing but well no I think headcanon is like just you have this part of the book that you have sort of like developed a, a story about or an understanding of or a vision for that isn't like explicitly in the text. And it is true. It is true that Hermione is not described as black. And most of the other characters who we are given to understand are black. She explicitly describes that way. Like we know that about Dean Thomas. We know that about Lee Jordan. We know that about Angelina Johnson. We actually don't know that about Angelina for a while. So yeah. I mean I think there's definitely potential there. But I would call it headcanon just because it's never explicitly stated. Anyway, I just think that this is like, this is kind of an iconic scene for that particular understanding of the character Hermione. And it really makes sense. And it makes a lot of sense. And regardless of whether that's your understanding of Hermione, it is really sad to me. This the There's something really poignant about this makeover scene because it's sad that nobody ever acknowledged her beauty before and it's also sad that she had to be perceived as a pretty girl to like sort of be taken seriously as a potential partner for Victor Crumb who by the way likes her the way she is Crumb is super into Hermione the person that's why he's been going to the library yeah because he's into her and he wants to ask her out so yeah this is where we transition into like my honestly my number one ship of the entire book I think that Victor Crumb and Hermione could have ended up together and been happy. They yeah. are so, so nice at to each other at this ball. They are the only couple that we can see, like, having a conversation. He's telling her about, like, what it's like at Durmstrang and how it differs from Hogwarts. And she's, like, asking him questions. He's asking her questions. There's a one part where she pauses with her fork, like, close to her mouth, just, like, listening to him. And Ron is so furious. And it's just, like, they're actually having a super nice time. He's really gentlemanly. He, like, goes to get them butterbeer. And it's just nice. They're on a, they're, like, besides, like, maybe Cho and Cedric, we don't know a ton. But, like, they're on a nice date. What the hell do Ron and Hermione talk about? They just fight. I mean, up to this point in the book, it's been sort of like barbed sort of flirting, like the way you do with like 14, I guess. Well, uh, yeah, and in that way it rings true, but it's just like, I don't think you end up with the person who talks to you like that as a 14-year-old. I don't know, or just the fact that they've had so many crazy intense experiences that uh, now they can't be with anybody else. I mean, that makes sense to mm-hmm, me. Because that nobody the shared, else. The shared experience of like 
just horror every day of your life for many years. Deathly Hallows is like a war book. It's a fucking gauntlet, yeah. So Hermione, I guess, is pretty now. I feel like she's always been pretty. I also feel like she should go back to her crazy hairdo. Do you, girl? So the boys at the ball. Start sucking, basically. I don't know. They like don't even try. It's kind of disappointing. Did you dance at dances? A little bit. If I had a date, they had dates. I know, but like if you had a date, like in middle school. Yeah, I mean, if it can be called dancing, yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Some swing. I didn't like, I I didn't really know how to do the fast dances. Well, see, that's what they're nervous about. All right. So, I mean, I can, I can kind of relate to this, but you know, they got dates. Yeah. They're mostly, That's what they needed. More of the problem is they're just ignoring these poor girls. I know. They're not like paying attention to their wants or needs at all during this whole thing. And But that's like the other thing is that's like also so true to life. I just remember at like middle school dances, there would be two clumps of people on the floor <laughs> and it would be all the boys in like a dumb like fucking break dancing circle or some shit. And I went to school. I mean, it was all like white boys quote-unquote break dancing and then the girl circle would be like girls like kind of trying out like hip movements a little bit and then in the middle would be a, a few like intrepid like actual couples dancing with each other and then slow dances would come on and all hell would break loose <laughs> so i do find them their behavior true to life but it's not impressive yeah well the other thing that's hilarious is then they go outside And people are just, like, going at it in the bushes. I mean, they're not going, like, they're not boning in the bushes. I don't think. Maybe some of the seventh years are, like, having some fumbly bush sex. Sorry. Are having (laughs) some. That's a great, that's a great turn of phrase. (laughs) Are having some kind of bumbling, um, like, foliage sex, I guess. Wingardium Leviosa. Oh, no. But mostly they're just making out. Dude, Fleur and Roger Davies retreat to a more private rose bush. Yeah, no, I'm saying. You know what my favorite part of that is? Is Snape just like randomly blasting (laughs) like spells into rose bushes and kids are like yelping and like running away. (laughs) Snape as like cock blocker is like actually really, really excellent in this scene. I love it. (laughs) I think it's so funny. Like good for him. It's what Snape was put on this earth to do, basically. He's like, like, never is he happier than in that moment. I mean, Or he's Snape, feeling curdled rage at his lack of intimacy with any other human being. Yeah, I think he's not happy at all. I think he's experiencing, I mean, you know, Snape is so stuck in high school. He's experiencing the exact same burning shame of not having any girl to kiss now as he did when he was 15. Oh, Snape. Yeah, honestly, mm. get over it. Like, just ask someone out, Snape. Like, see what Sprout is up to. She and fucking Professor Flitwick are broken up. <laughs> By the way, according to Pottermore, those guys dated. So, amazing. So, we've got this giant revelation, with, uh, <laughs> which is a joke I've already used once in this episode, but uh, with Madame Maxine and Hagrid. And we learn that Hagrid's have giants. I just knew. Knew you were like me. Was it your mother or your father? I, I don't know what you mean, Hagrid. It was my mother, said Hagrid quietly. She was one of the last ones in Britain. Course, I can't remember her too well. She left, see, when I was about three. 
She wasn't really the maternal sort. Well, it's not in their natures, is it? To know what happened to her. Might be dead for all I know. Madame Maxime didn't say anything, and Harry, in spite of himself, took his eyes off the beetle and looked over the top of the reindeer's antlers, listening. He had never heard Hagrid talk about his childhood before. Me dad was broken-hearted when she went. Tiny little bloke my dad was. By the time I was six, I could lift him up and put him on top of the dresser if he annoyed me. Used to make him laugh. I don't really understand how the biology of that yeah, works. Like, if giants are 20 feet tall. Let's like just super briefly, just a little bit, talk about the conception. <laughs> because also like his mom is a giant. Yeah. How did a human inseminate a giant? Like he, his whole body could probably like fit in her. I'm sorry, like that's disgusting. <laughs> but like, wow, I did guys, not know you were going to go there. No, but think about like his. The, I'm sorry, this is an adult theme, but I don't understand how that is physically possible there's something there's probably something in the hogwarts library that explains how to do this in the very, in the very restricted, restricted section. section yeah so a uh, that feels like the hogwarts comma but or i whatever. mean actually if you think about it male like male giant female human is no better and like or, probably wait, worse. Yeah, worse it's like way worse because that would kill her i assume what are they fucking doing maybe it was a Maybe it was magically assisted. It had somehow. to have been. It had. I wonder if they fell in love and they like wanted Wait, to. You could probably temporarily engorge yourself. Uh, literally, not, like not to that. You know if what? If you took some growth po- potion or whatever, there's probably a spell or a potion he could have taken to get to his whole body. Yeah. Not just the relevant organs. Or you organs. could have shrunken her. They're shrinking. We know that they're shrinking solutions. Oh, okay. So they would have had to do some, like, chemical mm-hmm. preparation so for this. Frid Wolfa, shrinking her seems like it makes more sense than enlarging uh, Hagrid Sr. Yeah, I agree. I, um, well, okay, so that's fucking weird. Okay, so that... But this really, has been bothering like, me, so I'm glad we worked this out. But I mean, that's just, like a weird... It's a really weird thing to just reveal. It's like, okay, we know how babies are made, but how was this baby made? <laughs> um, so that is that is hilarious. It was probably an easier labor, though, for her, because yeah, the baby was smaller than... than Hagrid's smaller than a regular giant baby. Yeah, that's so, true. So you know. my other question... Okay, so the second half of this whole revelation is that Hagrid tells Madame Maxime this because he makes... What I think we learn is the, the the correct assumption that she is also half giant, and my thing is, and Harry kind of alludes to this is Harry's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> so my question Maxine is, like, is like ten feet tall. Like how the fuck were they passing? Uh, Obviously they're part giant. Well, they, there's a few thing. There's a few. A few people say like Draco thought he'd gotten in the like drank a bottle of Skelligro as a kid. Ron thought he'd gotten the way of a bad engorgement charm, which I guess never wore off. So I guess there's ways to be accidentally. Mm, doesn't enlarged. that seem like? Doesn't that seem like people like willfully, yeah, like 
failing to see the reality of the situation. I don't know. Maybe it's a thing where you just don't talk about it in polite society. I think that's but more once it's it. like out, then, then it's a big deal. Then it's a big deal. So, so you have to hide. You can never like acknowledge the fact that you're half giant. Oh, I don't but see people, size. Yeah, but yeah, I don't. <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about Madame Maxine's like self-hating moment because she vehemently denies being part giant. It is chilly, she said. But whatever the weather was doing, it was nowhere near as cold as her voice. I think I will go in now. I said Hagrid blankly. No, don't go. I've. I've never met another one before. Another what, precisely? said Madame Maxime, her tone icy. Harry could have told Hagrid it was best not to answer. He stood there in the shadows, gritting his teeth, hoping against hope he wouldn't. But it was no good. Another half-giant, of course, said Hagrid. Oh, dare you! shrieked Madame Maxime. Her voice exploded through the peaceful night air like a foghorn. Behind him, Harry heard Fleur and Roger fall out of their rosebush. I have never been more insulted in my life. Off, giant. Mwah! I have... I have big bones. She says she has big bones, which is a hilarious use of that trope. Um, <laughs> well, very, literal big, literally she does bones. have gigantic bones, but she also, it's not just her bones. Right. She is like not comfortable with the, like revealing her heritage, even when Hagrid like gives her this overture and she's incredibly offended and really, really upset and leaves the dance and like won't talk to Hagrid anymore after this revelation. So she has more to lose than Hagrid. What do you mean? I'm assuming not that many half-giants are headmistresses at major wizarding private schools. I, and Hagrid's, just, Hagrid's a gamekeeper. Yeah. And, like, kind of adjunct faculty. You know, but <laughs> he is his such job's, an adjunct. Yeah, his job's pretty secure. Dumbledore's made it pretty clear that he's never going to fire him unless he's randomly accused of being the heir of Slytherin or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then he'll send him to Azkaban without a trial. But, you know, otherwise Hagrid's got pretty good job security and uh, status isn't that important. Well, st- status is important to him, but not in the same way. Well, that it he would doesn't be have, for... he doesn't, have, you're right. He doesn't have that much status to right. lose. Like he, she he's has... already pretty low on the sort of status totem pole. Her job is more political because it's, you know, higher up. Yeah. So, she that really makes sense. can't have people finding out. Well, but then that's, again, that's fucking crazy to me because it's just like, what did you guys think she was? I don't know. This part does, this doesn't like. It doesn't all the way track for me. This is Rowling trying to inject more like magical bigotry into the universe, but I don't know how much but this But it's like, you works. can't, it's not like a werewolf because a giant is a giant. Mm-hmm. They're they're huge people. Well, so, but the other thing that's really sad about Madame Maxime is that she does seem like really beloved by her students. Yeah. Like they're really, really loyal to her and they do, that. they think that she's like glamorous and they really trust her and all of these things are true and it's like a huge bummer that she Dumbledore thinks she's the shit Dumbledore loves Madame Maxime I actually really like that about Dumbledore Dumbledore (laughs) thinks that she's like by far the most competent person in the room which is like mostly true 
But it's really sad that she thinks or I guess understands, knows that all of that would not matter if the parents of her pupils found out that she was part giant. So you're right. She has a lot to lose. And that's really sad. I don't know. This book is kind of a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Not any more than the, oh, well, you're going to be really disappointed by the next three. Yeah, they're all bummers. This, I love them, but this series becomes pretty depressing. Harry Potter and the giant bummer. Oh, it's true. So Rita Skeeter somehow (laughs) hears this conversation and writes this big, big, like, feature story in the Mm -hmm. Daily Prophet about Hagrid the giant. And I have really complicated feelings about this story. It's reprehensible, right? It is. It's really bad. It is. She's going full on, like, Fox News, New Black Panther Party. It's like, very, like, it's race like, baiting. Yeah. Or, like, identity baiting. Mm-hmm. Like, Megyn Kelly status. Uh, like, old school Megyn Kelly. Yeah, before I, I, Megyn Kelly was on, like, fucking NBC or whatever. Yeah, you know, like, white black people Black Santa are be, yeah, problem. Yeah, like, Black Santa, like, status. Uh, um, so, in that, like, that's really bad. No, also, she's heinous. like. Totally got it in for Hagrid, because I guess because, well, the simplest explanation is she's super prejudiced against half-giants. But there's always an on the other hand with Rita Skeeter, because Rita Skeeter is the only one asking the questions, and the question here is, is Hagrid a competent teacher? The question is also, is it okay that he's a giant? Which, like, yes, obviously. So get it out of the way. Rita Skeeter is a reprehensible person and journalist. But... There is a kernel in there of the only person willing to acknowledge the truth, which is that giant or no giant, Hagrid is an utterly incompetent and absolutely should be fired teacher. She does these interviews. Should be fired or No, he absolutely should not be a fucking teacher. (laughs) All of his kids get hurt. So she does these interviews with all the Slytherins and the thing that's crazy is they don't have to lie. They lie a little bit. Goyle lies. Goyle says he gets a bad bite off a flubberworm, but they don't have teeth. Okay, but so he's... Which Rita Skeeter could have fact-checked. Well, Rita Skeeter doesn't fact check. So no, look, she makes up her own I'm facts. I'm not cl- out alternative facts. I can't believe we <laughs> haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. That could have been an adult is, theme. Oh, yeah. Wow. She is queen of alternative facts. Fa- Rita Skeeter's alternative facts. That might be the episode title. <laughs> um, it's just enough actual fact, though, to like muddy the waters. So. Yeah, which is what's really scary. That's like why the current administration is so shitty at alternative facts because there's like no chance in hell that they're true. And, you know, the Obama administration was way better at having things that were just like complicated, aka like sometimes not true. But, um... No, so, to be a good liar, you have to tell the truth most of the time. Right. And so Rita Skeeter doesn't do that. But she is asking this question that I don't understand why more people aren't asking. And they don't have to lie much. And Hagrid's Care of Magical Creatures classes are dangerous. They are not learning rich. He has no curriculum. He is illegally breeding creatures that he doesn't know how it'll turn out and then like immediately introducing them to children. Hagrid's a fucking terrible yeah, teacher he is he should what like he shouldn't get fired from hogwarts <laughs> there is no he, place in hell that hagrid should be a teacher dude he's going he's like david from the new alien movie like I the straight up breeding xenomorphs uh, how many people are gonna get that reference they're gonna get if you saw the new alien i can't remember what the 
Was it Alien? I don't remember what the new Alien is called. How many people saw the new Alien movie? I a think lot of it, people saw the new it Alien flop? movie. Yeah, it flopped, but a lot of people still saw it. Okay, well, write to us if you don't understand that joke, because I want to be vindicated. <laughs> well, anyway, Skeeter is uh, is super bad. Well, okay, she's super bad, but she also like there's all, there's this other moment where she's leaving and she sees Bagman with all the goblins, and she's like, that guy seems up to no good. And again, it's like she's fucking paying attention. Didn't seem very keen to talk to us, did he, Bozo? Now, why would that be, do you think? And what's he doing with a pack of goblins in tow, anyway? Showing them the sights? What nonsense. He was always a bad liar. Reckon something's up? Think we should do a bit of digging? Disgraced ex-head of magical games and sports, Ludo Bagman? Snap his start to a sentence, Bozo. We just need to find a story to fit it. Trying to ruin someone else's life, said Harry loudly. A few people looked around. Rita Skeeter's eyes widened behind her jeweled spectacles as she saw who had spoken. Harry, she said, beaming. How lovely. Why don't you come and join? I wouldn't come near you with a ten-foot broomstick, said Harry furiously. What did you do that to Hagrid for, eh? She's totally right. Yeah, but the you can't lead off with the giant bait egg. No, no, like, I that know. Undo- I know. That, like, just undoes it all for me. I like, know. I know. And I don't think that she's good. I don't think she's a good person. I don't think she's a good journalist. Mostly, I'm bummed out that she's just such a reprehensible human being. Because she absolutely has the nose of someone who could be fucking phenomenal at this job. Well, she is. I mean, she's, like, I guess... She- she sells papers. She's incredibly successful. I mean, in like a successful. narrow sense, she's really successful. No, but, but I mean, like, I am like I have another fan fiction that I would like to write is that, like, Rita Skeeter, like, comes to her senses, independent of Hermione's shenanigans, and is just, like, a fucking, like, truth teller, like, slayer of power, just, like, badass Lady Journo, who could, she does have the potential to be incredibly good at her job. She also, like, she doesn't give a shit what people think about no, her, that, which I really like. Those descriptions of her really ring true in terms of just how a lot of people in media actually are. Yeah, to be successful, you really can't care. It's such a journalist move to be able to be like, hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> out no, after you've written, like, something right. horrible about somebody. Absolutely. She runs uh, into Harry and Hermione, and she's like, hi, guys. And she, because she, she clearly, she's just like, whatever you throw at me I don't care I fucking did my job and like again she didn't do her job well but it's like I also like that she's just like she's got the I guess the thing that I think about her is really strong is she's just a skeptic she's just like oh all of this seems off and she's like whatever she's just asking the questions she's not writing the correct answers that she actually hears but she's asking the right questions. I think she's an interesting stand-in, in my mind, for the rest of the wizarding world. Because an interesting thing to me about Rita Skeeter is she's certainly not pro Voldemort. She's actually very anti-dark arts. But she also has all these problematic opinions. Like, she's pretty bigoted against giants. Uh, she... So she's not, like... She, like, evil, really, she goes in for the gossip. No, she's not evil. But she's not good. But she's not. Which is how. Most I people guess are. A lot, yeah, a lot of people are. Yeah, and Rowling is a really brave children's book writer because most of her characters fall into that gray area. Um, And, like, it, it, we've talked about this, like, with Lockhart, too. Like, it's really refreshing to have, like, kind of secondary villains whose 
foibles are just like really super duper human and they're not like really on either side of the like good and evil battle they're just kind of like muddling through being like just not great people but also yeah not like the soul and root of evil yeah so Lockhart endangers everyone and almost inadvertently helps Voldemort succeed yeah but- I don't know if Rita is Rita furthering the cause of Lord Voldemort in any like way? Yeah, even she is. She's alienating so? giants who then, I mean, you know what I mean? Like That's true. She does the exact same thing Fox News does, which is introduce identity-based wedge issues so that people think basically against their own actual interests because they're so afraid of like the other. You know, alienating giants is actually like, a really, really bad move in the fight against Voldemort because they are incredibly recruitable. And getting people to, so right, like stoking the fires of giant hatred or stoking the fires of bigotry, period, pushes all of these like, I mean, werewolves are the same way. Like fucking, what's the werewolf's name? Greyhorn McGrayback. Yeah, uh, Finrear Greyback. Finrear. Wolfie McWolfface. Wolfie Greyhorn McGrayback. Um, <laughs> Fenrir Greyback is like a really good example of another like member of a marginalized group who is like pushed into like the Death Eater camp because like bigotry like poisons people. So yeah, I think she's like probably actively helping him in some ways but the thing is that's crazy about her she's she's actively fighting him in others because like she is also trying to uncover all of the ways in which like the ministry and Hogwarts and all of these other institutions she's like really really I mean if anything she's just she's anti-institution she's like skeptical of the status quo And, and the tone of her stories makes it clear that she believes the whole Voldemort deal was like not good Right, obviously she believes that and she also asks questions of the kinds of institutions that are wittingly or unwittingly like protecting his followers and making it really hard to like kind of like root out the evil because they're just too old and big and you know kind of like business as usual. Yeah, she super took the ministry to task over the riot at the World Cup. Yeah, well and the other thing I think that's interesting in this chapter in this sort of whole incident, like just going back to the whole thing um, with Hagrid is you kind of get this, you you do get to see the ways in which like Harry, and I think this kind of goes back to the fact that he so easily forgives Ron. Sometimes his loyalty turns into like blindness. Yeah. Because he really, I do not think that he thinks that Hagrid is a bad teacher. I think that he, among the three of them, is the only one that like, really believe like he gets that Hagrid like makes he, some weird choices he rolls his eyes at some things Hagrid yeah does, but he but thinks he's that Hagrid, die with Hagrid well and he thinks that Hagrid is better than Professor Grubbly Plank which is just false <laughs> and that's a good transition to Professor Grubbly Plank is my unsung hero she's just a really strong teacher first day out the gate she brings a fucking unicorn to class that's incredible good classroom management skills too because Harry wants to make it a whole thing her being a sub like a whole thing he's like where's Hagrid what's going on and she just shuts him right down yeah. she's like he's indisposed anyway here's a fucking unicorn <laughs> yo she later on she just she gives really good lessons she actually teaches that like she teaches Hermione's that, impressed Hermione's hard to impress so yeah she's my unsung hero she's a really good teacher um she gets hired later on for real which is great my unsung hero is Pigwidgeon who's just so hella fucking psyched to be delivering the mail. Great comic scene where 
Ron like grabs the tiny owl in his fist and is like shouting at it in front of <laughs> horrified stu- like a gaggle of horrified girls who yeah. think Pigwidgeon super cute, which Pigwidgeon is. I like that he's like showing off though. He's like kind of he gets that he like Pigwidgeon seems to know that these girls, these like third year girls, think that he's like super adorable because he's like whizzing around and like really <laughs> like hamming it up and. I could have my own YouTube channel. Man. Oh, he one hundred percent could. So Pig is good. Yeah. A uh, good foil to Hedwig, who's uh, a little stuffy. So dignified. A little though. dignified. Very dignified. So. All right. This week's episode is brought to you by The Daily Prophet. Democracy dies in the dark arts. <laughs> it's very good. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio, and they are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Please go subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get podcasts. If those places allow you to leave reviews, please leave us some ratings and reviews. Um, We've been getting really, really, really lovely ones lately. We read them all. And so yeah, if you could leave us five stars and you know, something something nice about what you think about the podcast, we would adore that. We're on the socials. I would, if you are not following us on Facebook and or Instagram, I'm just going to tease that I would start because we have a pretty fun little project (laughs) associated with the Yule Ball up on social media. And I think a lot of you are really going to like it. So follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Quibbler Podcast. You can sign up for the newsletter, which is tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. You can email us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us a variety of ways. Please just send us mail. You are all lovely, and we can't wait to hear from you. Next week, we are reading, again, two really exciting and packed chapters, The Egg and the Eye and the Second Task. So, see you then. Thanks, amigos! Big bones. I'll give her big bones. Harry, Ron, and Hermione looked at one another nervously. You know what I'd love, Harry? I'd love you to win. I really would. There's one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. What? Win. Win. What are we waiting for? Take this! <laughs>